What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by Nate Funk. Nate, how's it going, brother? Pretty good. I'm pretty excited for tonight. Oh, tonight is going to be a fun one. Sorry, everybody. This is an Oberhasli podcast So for, for today, so I'm going to have to deal with it. On today's episode, we welcome Morgan Allen of Hay Creek Farm. Morgan, her husband, Keith, and family run their farm, a small commercial dairy, in Minnesota, raising Oberhasli, some grains, and I believe a couple of alpines in there, Morgan. Am I right? There are a couple alpines. Yeah. However, I don't... <laughs> I didn't breed them. <laughs> They're just a few here. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, so, so Morgan has quite the success in her 35 years of raising goats. In 2018, she had the Oberhasli National Champion and Best Utter, Hay Creek's Cane Stradivaria, First Place Dairy Herd, Breeders Trio, and Produce of Dam. In the past, she's also had Junior National Champions, Elite Sires, Bucks on the Young Sire Development List. I might have one. Uh, milking awards, and the list could go on. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, and I look forward to chatting. I love the fact that you talk a lot about Oberhasley, so it's really fun. <laughs> we're, we're a little it's probably, we're, yeah, we're probably beating a dead horse with it. With, you know, the, the non-Oberhasley breeders, they're probably like, okay, what about Sonnens and everything? We're getting there, folks. <laughs> so Nate and I obviously uh, know quite a bit about you, but for the listeners that aren't Oberhasley breeders or just not aware, uh, can you give us a brief uh, synopsis of what your operation with your family and, and dairy goats uh, consists of? Sure. So uh, my husband, Keith, and I and our two kids who are 10 uh, is Mason and four-year-old is Reese. We live on a, okay. a small farm in, in Minnesota here. And we raise Oberhasley and we have a small commercial dairy. So we've been selling milk to Singing Hills Goat Dairy, which is about a half an hour from us. And she makes um, great cheese, uh, yogurt, cheese curds. And um, we've been doing that for about 12 years. And so it provides some income to kind of support our hobby. And Mm -hmm. we don't have a working farm. So, you know, like a lot of other goat people, we we have a small acreage and we buy a lot of our feed. So it's important to have some extra income from that sale of milk. And we've been doing that for about 12 years. So my breeding program gets you know, kind of, it's got to have a two-part focus. You know, the, the does have to milk really well, but they also, since we kind of have this passion for showing, and that's, of course, where a lot of us got started, yep. mm-hmm. I want the does to really, to show well and look nice also. Okay. So that's kind of and, what we and- do here. My husband and I both work off the farm also. We both have full-time jobs, so we stay plenty busy. Yeah, farm, full-time jobs, two kiddos. I mean, that's a uh definitely a full days and full weeks work yeah it Uh, keeps us busy so that's good (laughs) now hay creek farm where did that name come from well my mom is where i i guess probably got my love for goats and Mm -hmm. so growing up as kids we lived in hay creek it's a valley in southeast minnesota kind of you know nestled down in in between two hills. And I always joke that, you know, we get a lot of snow in Minnesota and I didn't realize how windy it could be um, (laughs) until I grew up and moved out because we lived in this beautiful valley and the snow always just fell and was so pretty. 
So, <laughs> so anyway, the herd name came from Hay Creek, which is where we grew up. And when I moved, okay. when I moved out, I went to college and then I got married and eventually we bought this farm. And when I moved some of the goats here, um, I just kept the name Hay Creek. It was, you know, fairly established. We'd had registered goats since, oh, the mid nineties, maybe. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we just, you know, I just kind of kept the herd name. So my mom and I share it still. I was going to say, you, yeah, your I was going has, to say your mom has Nigerians yes. now, right? Yes. Yep. My mom raises Nigerians and she really, um, really loves them. She still keeps a few Oberhasli around. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then at our farm, we just have the Oberhasli and the recorded grades. Is, is her herd name also Hay Creek? Yes. Yep. Okay. So we both have Hay Creek as our herd name. Okay. And, we have separate memberships. And so, you know, way back in the day, we probably filled out some kind of paperwork so that we could use the same herd name. I can't remember anymore. What yeah, we right. did, but... yeah I think we've yeah. done that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm in the process of doing that with my wife right now because she always complains that it's my name on the uh, registration. And, and uh, you know, if we're at fair and we win, it's my name that gets called. So <laughs> we're fixing that this year. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We did that five years ago. So, yeah, yeah. Plus, if anything ever happens, it'll be easier. So, yeah. So (laughs) you're in Minnesota. There, snow. It's January. Um, Yeah. That affect your breeding plans and your milking. You know, it's it's obviously cold here, and we've had a pretty mild winter. Probably one of the nicest winters I can remember. I agree. I I generally I generally start kidding in March. I think. January is one of the coldest months we have and February is really cold and snowy. And when you get into March, you know, the days get a little bit longer, the you're less likely to have those below freezing, freezing days. And it just works well for us. So we, um, we, we start kidding around the first of March and then I dry up my does around the first of January. So actually I, they milk them till about the 10th of January. Okay. And then I, mm-hmm. I take, yeah, I take a little bit of a winter vacation now okay. from, I mean, we still have chores, but it's not the same when you don't have to milk twice a day. So it's, right. and yeah. especially in these really, you know, when it gets dark at five o'clock, it's not fun to be out in the barn all night. So I hear you. I hear you. we enjoy, a, <laughs> yeah, we enjoy a little what? bit of downtime and, and then, yeah, pretty soon the kids will be here, I guess, five or six weeks. <laughs> coming up you say that you say that you kid in you know march and and it's a little bit less likely to be cold but if i recall correctly when i had orion shipped from your place to new york it was snowing that day and we didn't know if it was going to happen yeah i don't i honestly can't remember but we could (laughs) i mean we we really do get snow i mean from october until i mean we do get snow into may so yeah, we we get you know a lot of snow here, but yeah, I don't know. I guess we we still get <laughs> snow and cold, but I think once it gets into March, we just again lessen those chances of those really cold days. When uh, of course we try to be there when the goats kid, mm-hmm. but there's always somebody you miss, and you don't want frozen ears and that kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah, for sure, and. Uh, you know, just speaking, I'm going to get Orion out of the way because Nate has threatened me. Uh, we have a so, code word now. So for Trigger any- word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, any- if anybody doesn't know, I bought uh, our first ever 
buck that we ever brought onto our property was uh, Hay Creek Sandman Orion. And he's still here and he's gorgeous and we love him. Understand. But uh, we had him shipped. Yeah. So we had him shipped and, and the process that you use uh, to is, is the e- the most easiest process to buy an animal I've ever, ever come across. I mean, I don't think we spoke on the phone once. I think it was all over messenger and, and Hey, here's, here's what I have available. Great. Uh, let me think about it. Come back. Okay. I would like this one. Here's the money. Okay. We're going to set up for this. Okay. Here he's going out. All right. And it was bing, bang, boom, done. It was <laughs> awesome. And, and, uh, you know, I've been really happy with him. I mean, I think anybody that uh, gets a Hay Creek animal, uh, turns out to be really excited and happy about them. I mean, shoot, I got, wh- what time did you call me, Nate? When he made the young sire development oh. list, <laughs> it was later than that, my friend. I was already sleeping. <laughs> so, uh, so now I just wanted to emphasize that you know, just speaking personally, the process in which you uh, create sales and, and sell your animals and and how they develop. I mean, it's just you're doing a wonderful job. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that and. I guess it's, you know, good to have people like you to work with also because you're really good at communicating. And I think having two people that spend a lot of time or have easy access to email or messenger or texting mm-hmm. or whatever like that makes a big difference too. Um, Cause For you can sure. get those quick responses and, and we don't right. do a lot of shipping really. And so, you know, it just, sometimes things really fall into place well and mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't with shipping so it just all the stars aligned i guess yeah it was it was so easy i mean the biggest hiccup was we're getting snow right now i don't know if his plane's gonna take off yeah and but it all worked out yeah <laughs> so um, for john it was love at first Nate, time, did you so he took <laughs> oh, it was. He is. I still. You've done guy. a great job with him. I mean, I appreciate the photos and stuff that you send me, and then also seeing what he's doing for your herd online. And as a breeder, oh, when we you. sell animals, that. it's I. I just love to hear back from people. Um, and sometimes, if mm. you don't hear anything, you're afraid to ask, like, "What happened to that goat?" Because you never say anything about yes. it. So maybe yeah. you guys kind of see that too. You sell something and never hear about them again. So I. I love that you share, you know, your success with him and pictures of him and it, you know, makes me feel good as a breeder. So thank you. Well, I, I definitely hold him up, you know, on a pedestal and, and probably to a fault. Uh, and, but I just love the way he's developing and I love his daughter that he gave us uh, last year and can't wait to see how she freshens. Yeah. So, uh, but Nate, we'll we'll get off of the Orion I'll go topic stick. now. Uh, I'll go stick. Yeah. <laughs> the trigger work. No. So so <laughs> so you're working right now with Oberhasley, uh, and you have your experimentals or recorded grades, and you also have some alpines. Have you dabbled with you know just just thought about bringing anything else in, or are you guys set with what you have? Well. For now, I think we're set. I I always mm-hmm. I always tell my husband if we were going to be really serious about having a commercial dairy and try to make a living off of it, Oberhasley mm-hmm. 
probably isn't the breed to raise. I mean, just realistically, right. we don't get the milk production that some of the other breeds get, but yeah, you know, just where we're at now with, with our breeds, I really, and how we, you know, just kind of supplement our farm with the income from selling milk. I, I just mm-hmm. love the Oberhasley. I, I love their temperament. I love their size. I love the milk. Um, I'm nodding my so head. we're really happy with that right now. <laughs> I, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, having a couple of Alpines in my herd while um, they barely fit on my stand, um, <laughs> you know, cause they're a good six inches longer and taller than the Oberhaus they are. And they're, mm-hmm. they're super mean. I mean, sorry, <laughs> sorry to anybody who raises Alpines, but they like to chase and they take up a whole section of the feed bunk and they'll stand at the door and keep other goats outside. And <laughs> so I, I think, um, you know, just incorporating a little bit of, you know, some of that size and the length and the milk production into my mm-hmm. Oberhasley herd is kind of what I do with those Alpines. And, and yeah. really when we got started, maybe this is a question later, but we started with all just grades, um, nothing registered. And as we went through 4-H, we um, got a registered Oberhasley buck at one time. So I kind of fell into the breed sort of by accident because it was the only buck available to breed all of our grade does to. <laughs> and that's kind of when I fell in love with the breed and I've just kind of stuck with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I've always had grades and just kind of enjoyed what it brought to the breed. And, and, am I correct? At one point, For sure. we, one point we have even dabbled in uh, purebred? Um, we have had some okay. purebred through the years. Yeah. I've never like specifically bred purebreds, okay. but we've had a few. Yeah. Okay. I just, in doing my homework, I thought I just saw some. That's all. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we, we definitely, you know, I still have some purebred semen in my tank and it's older. And I keep thinking I, I should either throw it away or give it away because you know how overhusley genetics have advanced over the years, yeah, but exactly. mm-hmm. I just think you don't, you don't want to lose that that old purebred stuff either. But it's you might be getting a phone call from Nate. Yeah, more like this from Jen. Threatening to create our, our one token purebred, you know, American. But she's doing, you know, she's got uh, you know Nick coming. We've got uh, Irish Rogue kids do in a few weeks um you know so yeah that's i think that's exciting and i've i've looked at your dough online too and i think she's really competitive and i think we're keeping working to keep her purebred and it's a challenge i think that's a cool thing to do it is well it's a challenge but it's kind of fun it's a fun challenge it is yeah and it's kind of exciting so um she'll be probably six at harrisburg um, okay. We don't know if, about Louisville. We, we we keep saying no, no, no Louisville, and then we'll be like, well, you know, hotels are <laughs> so much, and we think about it. Um, so, so you have the the Alpines that you use with your Oberhasley uh, to make some experimentals, and like you said, it adds length and and production and and all that stuff. Uh, and we've seen. Alpine Oberhasley uh, grades and and those that have been bred up from those grades to American status and and they seem to compete really well. Nate and I saw it this year 
at the one show that we both went to. Uh, well, and it was actually uh, with uh, that, the junior champion from 2018, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Hannah. Yes. Yeah, uh, the Ferguson. Hannah. Yep. Was Hannah. Spot it on. Was a gorgeous doe. My goodness. <laughs> I was sitting behind her, like fourth, and I was like, "I, I belong right here." <laughs> well, there's just, yeah, and there's something about. I mean, I think the Oberhausley can be valuable in a lot of um, experimental breeding because they just have just a real style about them and the way they move around the ring mm. and um, just pretty front ends and you know a lot of things that are really great about the Oberhausley and they seem to cross well with the Alpines, you know, obviously they're complete outcrosses, but I've never had something right. turn out bad. You know, it's like you get kind of the best of both worlds out of them and they, they size down pretty quick. So it's not like you have huge Oberhosley. and I've really, my, my selection from my Alpine breeding is kind of a little bit based on color. Like when I go mm -hmm. look at an Alpine or, or a grade or something. I don't want anything with a white with a white belly. That's my point. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny thing, but I'm picking a little bit based on color and and no white bellies. And I think that's one of the harder things to get rid of. And I've been lucky with my Oberhausley um, Alpine crosses. Most of the kids have come out correct color, so that's been fun. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Sorry, yeah. John. I always feel like with the Alpine Oberhausley cross, it either works out really well or the doe hits three or four years old and they start breaking down quick. This is something that I've seen to notice. And I don't know if it's the size with the Oberhausley genes or if it's just management. Um, but have you noticed that in your own herd or are they holding up just as well? They seem to be, they seem to be holding up well. And in fact, like one of my very first grade she was a great experimental doe she was actually alpine tog cross and that's where yeah. a lot of my really competitive um recorder grade does kind of came from and and her line she she kitted when she was 16 for the last time and then she did pass away wow. when she was 17 wow. but she uh, unfortunately she didn't have a lot of doe kits for me but um that's where uh, all those, a lot of my original recorder grades came from. And then that whole line kind of started to die out. Well, of course she was 17 and her daughters were 14, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind of right. thing. And so then I brought in these, um, these couple of pure, purebred or, you know, full Alpines. And so mm -hmm. we'll see, I don't have any really old yeah. ones yet, but okay. you know, that original line, they were, they had a lot of longevity really strong feet and legs, really strong utter attachments. And they just, they kept kicking until they were, I mean, like I said, she kitted when she was 16 and that's how, crazy. How often do yeah. you bring in a new buck? Uh, you know, I've, uh, not super often. I'll say okay. I, I've kind of like to dabble just a little bit in some AI. We do a little bit of AI every year. I usually mm -hmm. settle, you know, maybe three or four or five, Roughly, and then so I kind of try to save a buck out of one of oh, my AI breedings. Did did uh, any? Uh, that's that's kind of how. I gotta ask. Did any Bagheera settle? Yes, oh, I did. <laughs> that is such. It's such a funny story. <laughs> sweet, none of ours did. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't a planned breeding because, um, you know, Jennifer had said. 
hey, our semen doesn't look yeah. good. Can you look at yours? And so I said, yeah, I got a dough and heat. I'll just stick it in her. If it doesn't look good, oh, well. Um, mm. Well, so just it just happened to be that dough that was in heat that night, and, and she settled. So uh, it maybe wouldn't have been the breeding I would have picked, but that's I, I, all right. I, I, I have to say we have a granddaughter, and I, I, I think I, hopefully it'll work out well. Um, I really like yeah, You're I hope so too. I'll cross for me after cross this. my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, John, uh, maybe you didn't even want to talk about this, but you asked me kind of about like the line breeding and stuff. And I said, don't ask mm-hmm. me about that because I don't pay attention to it. And this, this, my, my AI breeding there where I just said, sure, I'll just put it in whoever's in heat. That goes to show the planning that I put into my breeding program. <laughs> well, I feel like there's probably a little bit more. Planning. I know of a breeder who they, they usually pick up a case uh, of beer and that's how they figure out the breeding plan. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's always the best laid plans. I mean, I, I try to think about it a little bit and it's kind of phenotypically like, you know, this, mm-hmm. this dough has this, the, this buck I think is going to bring this in. But realistically, when I come out to the barn and there's like 12 goats in heat, like I'm just going to cycle <laughs> through the box, like, you know, one, two, three, four, and then one, two, three, four. And honestly, that's what does happen. So we'll tell you what happens after they kid. <laughs> yeah, well, whether it was good or not. Right. Um, well, well, you also have a lot more animals that you breed than, say, myself or even me. Yeah. So. yeah, and it is, you know, that it does happen where some days there's like 15 does in heat. I'm certainly not as big as some of the, the larger size commercial dairies, but we usually mm-hmm. freshen close wow. to 40 does and then... I milk, I try to milk like around 35. That's kind of my plan for supplying milk to our cheese plant. So very small dairy, you know, very small dairy, but uh, still a lot of goats to to breed. I have to ask because you, you, you said the dairy is like 30 minutes away. Do they have a a tanker truck that comes and gets that milk or? No, we, we are transporting in cans. Really? So it's just pretty old school, but still legal. <laughs> really? Never <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's been the coolest partnership. I'll be honest. It's like I said, small dairy, like we're small potatoes, nothing really cool, nothing big and fancy, but mm-hmm. it's been such a great partnership and we just really work well together and we we take turn, you know we deliver, then she picks up, we deliver and she picks up, we do three days a week. So the milk is always really fresh and it mm-hmm. takes about a half an hour to do, get there. Um, wow. Do you, ha- is it like a, a pipeline system you use or a belly bit? No, we, we use, uh, we have a vacuum line, but we still use a bucket. So we milk into a bucket and then we pour into the okay. um, bulk okay. tank. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then transporting. Yeah, and and it really was. Well, we we'd been living at our farm for a couple of years and had goats, and and they came to us asking if we would be interested in selling them milk, and we're like, yeah, that sounds great, 
but we have this <laughs> old barn that has nothing in it. And so we pretty much started from scratch and we just kind of did stuff as we saved up a little money. And so it's mm-hmm. been pretty much all just what we could afford to pay for with cash. And my husband's super handy. So that's been great. And <laughs> yeah, just kind of you know, every year we do a little something else. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's with every uh, dairy goat breeder, especially, you know, with show herds. Uh, we definitely here in on my property, we're not fancy whatsoever. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have an old pig barn that, that has two stalls. Uh, you know, the pigs rooted up the concrete and, and tore it out. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just very, very retrofitted for goats. And then, you know, eventually down the road, we'll build something different. Uh, hopefully this year. And, uh, you know, the Bucks pen used to be a duck coop. It just was a huge <laughs> duck coop. <And> yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of how it goes with, with uh, goat breeders. It's what you can use and, and you know, do with or do without. Yeah. And I think, honestly, <laughs> that's part of the reason that dairy goats and meat goats also may um, continue to become more popular is because they are pretty versatile and mm-hmm. they can adapt to uh, a lot of situations and they can fit well in some of these older, you know, hobby farm type situations. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how uh, you know, yeah. Yep. Well then, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that's gone to a dairy goat show and have seen some of the craziest, wackiest goat trailers. I've seen some crazy stuff. Yeah, I've seen some uh, enclosed trailers that were retrofitted. I mean, some of them are just so awesome, like they should patent it and sell it. But uh, others, you're like, well, that works, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you know, <laughs> you do what you can. And then once once you can save up a little bit more, then you get bigger. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere and. I think it builds character, I guess. I always <laughs> Oh, sure does. I always tell my kids, you know, when when I was in 4H, this is what we had to do and <laughs> you know, they give you a funny look, but <laughs> you know, we started out not knowing anything and you know, our kids are starting out with parents that know a lot about showing and mm-hmm. and my husband grew up with beef and hogs and his family still has beef and our sons has show, showed beef at the fair last year too and my husband said, my brothers and I, when we wanted to get into showing beef cattle, we did it ourselves. And they were teenagers. And right. he said, our parents didn't help us do anything. We learned everything just from watching people at the fair, basically, and mm-hmm. and work for 20 years to get where they are. And that's kind of what we did with our goats, too. And we always try to tell our kids, like, you don't know how good you have it. You have parents <laughs> that kind of, kind of understand the rules. Like, you're not going to show up at a show without a tattoo right. in the goat's ear. Right. Or you're not going to show up without a health paper or whatever that happens to be. So, which, you know, lots of people that are getting started have some trouble with that. Just, it, you yeah. don't know what all the rules are. It's so crazy. I, I carry a, sure. some, sometimes we'll carry a tattoo kit, you know, during show season sometimes. Just not for us, but for <laughs> people who show up and, <laughs> what do you mean I need a tattoo? Yeah, you just, yeah, uh, <laughs> yep. So, we we touched on you know how often you breed in bu- or bring in bucks and and all that stuff. Uh, 
but when you're breeding, what is your threshold for if a buck leaves as a weather uh, to the meat market or to a pet home or whether he leaves your farm as a herd sire? Yeah, you know, I, I guess every buyer has a little bit different goal. And so mm-hmm. when I have people contact me and they, I try to get an idea of what people are looking for. And some people just okay. want a doe that a buck out of a doe that milks really well, or that maybe somebody wants a doe that, or a buck from a doe that's really going to improve udders for show. So there's a difference between the ones that are going to milk well and the ones that are going to improve udder for show. So first of all, I think I like to just find out what the buyers are looking for. And there's a big price difference too. Some people yeah. are willing to spend quite a bit and some people are willing to just spend you know, $250, which I'm okay selling animals for that too. Everybody has to get started somewhere, but you know, basically I want to sell something that has good feet and legs and a good udder. And of course, um, (laughs) meets breed standard. So (laughs) you know, no extra teeds, no white spots, no, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but really, I mean, uh, yeah, feet and legs and udder, I think, are probably the two most important things. And, right. and, you know, of course, sometimes you sell a, a buck out of a first freshener and then by the time they're three, you know, sometimes things change. Well, you, you can't go back and, and castrate that buck anymore, but right, those are kind of my basics, just a good sound dough yeah. that is hopefully going to, you know, have a long productive life on her then granddaughters. Right. And this is actually, Nate, this should be a topic that we touch on, but um, I'm one that doesn't mind buying from a first freshener if I am familiar with the lines enough. I mean, as you know, uh, Orion was out of a first freshener. And I think for me, it's more what does the first freshener have going on for her herself now uh, and kind of gauge it from there uh, where a lot of people really kind of just shy away from first fresheners. Well, you know, when you think about new genetics coming in, you're hoping that every generation is going to be just a little bit better than the last. Um, of yes. course, with goats, it's it's harder because we don't have good solid proofs on sires and a lot of genetic mm-hmm. data that maybe the dairy cattle world, world does. But we're, ho- we're hoping that these young does are going to be a little bit better than the generation before them. And, and when... Uh, say a first a yearling or a two-year-old freshens for the first time you can you can tell of course feet and legs are easy to see but the other attachment you can tell whether she's gonna be kind of like a a fancy yearling and then that udder is gonna drop Mm -hmm. or if she's maybe got a smaller udder but super well attached and you can tell she's gonna develop over time and and have a really well attached udder for years to come so you can kind of see that but I don't have a problem. I mean, I do get a lot of people that say, I'm looking for a buck. I like this doe or I like this breeding and I like this breeding, but if you have any really fancy first fresheners, tell me about them too. So (laughs) I, I do get a lot of, you know, like once they start kidding, if you have some really fancy first fresheners, just put that on my list too. Mm -hmm. So that happens. I don't, I don't think, as many people shy away from that as you might think. So, yeah, I mean, 
I certainly don't. Both my bucks are out of first freshers. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and you know, you picked fell. like, you know, Orion's damn oaks. She had, you know, she had the top line. She had the feet and legs. She had the utter oh, attachment. Yeah. She, she's got everything there, and she's a doe that's going to look good for many years. And you could tell mm-hmm. that when she kitted for yeah, the first yeah. time. So for sure, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as much as I wanted to get a uh, Stradivaria son, that's, <laughs> that's quite the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, it's, it's certainly but, one I think um, we're, we're all going to be watching for a bit. Um, I, I personally, I, I'll say, yeah, she's one of my favorites in your herd. So, um, yeah, she's um, she's a pretty doe. Um, no. Yeah. So, oh, biased, so obviously so. the traits you're focusing on <laughs> are, are attachment and feet and legs and, and top line. Um, are there things that maybe in your herd or, or other, just things in general, maybe you you're, someone says, hey, can you take a look at my goat that are pet peeves of yours when you look at an animal? Like for me, it's pastance. You know, I can see weak pastance and it's like, eek! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I would tend to agree with you there, Nate, that pasterns, especially if they're long, um, long pasterns and then where the oh, yeah. toes splay, um, you know, that I don't, I don't mind so much, maybe a really short pastern that gets a little bit squishy when they get older. That isn't so bad as those long ones that kind of rock back and then the toes splay. Mm-hmm. So that would be kind of one of my pet peeves and, and then maybe those kind of narrow, slopey rumps. And, you know, they're not rare in Oberhasli. And so it's something that <laughs> we, we as breeders, you know, need to continue to work on is, um, you know, more level, wider, flatter rumps. So those are, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of my pet peeves. Probably I, everybody's, probably, honestly. Well, especially if you're in the Oberhasli world. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember, you know, back in the 90s and even in the 80s, um, you know, your typical overhazley with hockey and, and a little bit weak on you're a little bit a bit weak on those pasterns and had the steep rump, but you know, that's what they were back in the eighties and early nineties. And to look at now it's almost yep. a different breed. Um, yeah, as far as confirmationally. Uh, so yeah, just it's now what what about behaviors? Yeah, it's yeah. it do you ever behavior what about what i just want to go back a second you ever call for behavior like if they're um food aggressive or or um you know (laughs) i not really i i don't know overhouse aren't really aggressive and i've got you know some of the alpines are a bit aggressive and i would say it wouldn't be a reason to call just for that one reason Uh but you throw uh maybe a bad attitude or somebody that's hard to catch or doesn't want to come out to get milked. It's like, okay, now if you do anything wrong, goat, (laughs) you don't have another chance. And I just actually called a dry yearling that I, I couldn't catch her and she wasn't settling. And I thought, well, you know, I would have tried maybe to do something with her, uh, but I couldn't catch the dang thing. She was so flighty and I don't know why, but I just, looking at her she came into heat one last time and I thought you know what I'm not even going to try again you're going so it's maybe not aggressive yeah. but just hard to work with and yeah. then 
and then throw maybe one other strike like this one wasn't yeah. settling. So yeah. she didn't even get a third well, strike, you know, but <laughs> it's, I, I just, well, and it's, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to chase animals around right. to work with them. Right. Yeah. So it's supposed to be a kind of like a partnership with your animals where, you know, you feed them, take care of them. They work with you and come yeah. to you and, you know, most sober Hosley and all other goats are like puppy dogs and want to be pet and scratched and yep. to have that. Mm. And we, <laughs> we have a little, and I, I kind of, I understand that we use, we use an automatic feeder for our kids. So ours are all fed with a machine basically as kids. So they don't get that daily handling from us. And now, you know, obviously they're still, they get hand fed for like a week before they get put on the auto feeder, but it's not quite the same. And I've noticed in the last three years that we've been using this auto feeder that our no. kids aren't quite as tame. And so okay. I'm, I might give them a little bit of pass of a pass, but I was just thinking the other day I should, you know, some people feed their goats, animal crackers and peanuts and stuff. And I thought mm -hmm. maybe I should start carrying some of that around just to, uh, I don't know, get yeah, them a little more friendly. Bears. Yeah, try sure. When gummy I gummy bears, our goat will gummy bears inside out for gummy bears. Yeah, and it really, was whole, it was a total <laughs> I'll have to float. try that. We, we'd had a a doe that we bought, and you know she was a yearling milker, and she came out of the ring one time, doing quite well, and she was just like looking for okay, where's the tree? So we messaged the breeder and said. Does she take treats? And she's like, oh, yeah, gummy bears. So, you know, we're like, okay, that's odd. <laughs> so we got her gummy bears. And, uh, yeah, she turned herself inside out. Every animal in the barn turned turned themselves inside out to the point that we had a, a buck from Abby Bell, Abby Ball, and uh, Rebel. And he, we were showing him, actually, we're in the ring. Uh, the judge was uh, Ed Kavanaugh, and we were waiting for a buck. It was a buck show, and we we're waiting for one of the buck from the other rings to come in. And Jen's like, I got to get occupy him. So I handed her this bag of gummy bears. She reached and grabbed the gummy bears and just started, like, <laughs> one after the other. And he stood there wagging his tail like a little puppy dog, one treat after the other. And yeah, gummy bears. Super unexpected. Yeah, you wouldn't think that would yeah. be their choice of the snacks. <laughs> They're like perfectly posed. And I, I think Ed had fun watching him just take one gummy bear at a time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I might have to try that with my Dojen because she's like a cat and just she wants to be pet when she wants to be pet. And besides that, leave her alone. So, uh, so we were talking about traits that you call for. Are there any traits in as a herd together that you're trying to uh, focus on right now? Well, not anything super specific, I guess. Mm -hmm. I always just try to kind of, I feel like my herd has a little bit of a, a look to it and I want to keep that just, I'm like a big sucker for like a really deep barrel, like that deep wide 
chest floor, the deep no, parkers and the deep, like deep back into the flank. And I mean, maybe everybody <laughs> is, but so I, I kind of want to keep that and, you know, level top lines and rumps. And mm-hmm. I guess one thing that one thing I would like to kind of fix a little bit in the last couple of years, my does have gotten a little bit hockey in the rear and it kind of ebbs and flows. I think some of the, based on what buck we use because when I had my mm-hmm. buck solution, I don't know, that was maybe five or six years ago or whenever that was that buck threw really wide rear leg set on all of his doe kids. And so when I had a herd full of like solution daughters or solution granddaughters, I had these beautiful wide leg sets. Um, and now mm-hmm. when I use Sandman quite a bit and the stuff that's kind of related to cane, um, he sort of pulled those hocks in a little bit. And so, yeah, for sure. It's just, um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, that's one thing I would like to. Yeah, actually, I have them in the well, yeah. Solutions son. <laughs> that one I was just talking about. Oh. He was. Oh, yeah. And I did. I, I think about using some solution again because I just, you know, his. I just got rid of actually two of his oldest daughters here and. So my herd has kind of cycled through that whole genetic line now, and mm-hmm. it's kind of maybe time to bring some of that back in again. So, so yeah, that's maybe one thing that I would like to work on. And a couple of years ago, um, my buck Brownie, who did a lot of things for, you know, yeah. my the frames and kind of the side oh, profiles yes. of my does and stuff. Did he ever? Oh my goodness. He yeah. So he did <laughs> some really great things, but man that buck through wide teats and so for a while my herd had like really wide teats <laughs> and so i've been like for a couple of years i worked on kind of like drawing those back into the midline of the udder and not only is it easier to milk but it's yeah. you know more pleasing in the yep. show ring too so mm-hmm. like every couple of years there's a little trait that you can kind of if you use a buck enough you can see what they do and and then you're like man this you know, they, they do so many good things, but, but there's this one thing you want to fix. Right. I, yeah, that's definitely with just about every book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. And you, you do have, you know, with a herd kind of, not that my herd is huge, but I breed quite a few does and, mm-hmm. and you get five or six or seven daughters on the ground and all milking. You can really tell what a buck is doing for your herd or what they're not doing for your herd in that. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Definitely definitely a plus mm-hmm. to have a nice decent size sample size yep so, uh so 2020 was obviously a bust for showing uh and with those improvements that you're thinking about what animal in your barn right now uh do you think is something that you just can't wait to get in the showing <laughs> so i really like i really like my doe shindig who is a half sister to Stradivaria. Mm-hmm. And she was the, uh, she was a class winner at the 2018 national show also, but I've been watching her and you guys are probably watching your does as they're getting closer. And I'm like, gosh, I, she doesn't look like she's pregnant. So <laughs> I'm like pulling my hair out and I'm going to send a blood test in on her because she's, you know, was bred, never saw her in heat again. My does have fence line contact with my buck. She's never been out there. But she mm-hmm. just, she's getting to the point where she's, I mean, well, she's still eight weeks away, but she's not looking pregnant. 
So she's honestly the my favorite goat in the barn right now. Um, she's, she's huge. She's level. She's wide. She's, she's beautiful, but I'm a little bit worried that she's not bred, not pregnant, (laughs) but as far as uh, my younger does, you know, I had two really fun two-year-olds this year, um, Fillory and Tesla. So -hmm. those are two that I'm excited to see come in. Now Tesla is huge as a house and I'm, she's (laughs) fairly mature looking. And Fillory, I'd tried to AI and she didn't settle. So she's due a little bit later. So she's not quite as big yet. But um, yes, yeah, so those are two of my younger does that I'm kind of excited about. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nate and I uh, keep a list together. Not really a list officially, but but we go back and forth and who we'd like to see at nationals. Yeah. And and those names have definitely crossed those, uh, those lists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and both, definitely- you know, yeah, both of those does, we, we went to one show in 2020 um, down in mm-hmm. Iowa, and we brought both of them, and it was fun to, it was fun to get them out and show, and they both looked really good, and so, yeah, I'm hoping that so, they kid in and no trouble, but you just never know, should right. almost knock on wood every time you pick yeah. something <laughs> that, it's always the favorite one, right, if something's yeah. going to go wrong, so. For sure. Especially with Oprah Hasley, it seems. For some yeah. Um, so we have show season supposedly coming up here. Are you planning on going to Louisville? Well, that's the tentative plan. Of course, yep. there's a lot of time between now and then. So um, we'll see. Yeah, yeah we, we try to go. We, we didn't go the last two years. Well, there was no national show last year, right. and then the year before we didn't go. So right it's been a little bit it'd be fun to see everybody again i think that's really the fun part of of national oh, show for sure. and is for sure i can't wait yeah. for our first national show <laughs> you know but. john we went to harrisburg oh. when our daughter was six oh. weeks old so no excuses <laughs> <laughs> and harrisburg is a Donald long drive from minnesota <laughs> well the issue <laughs> the real issue is with uh, my wife and I work at the same place on West Point. Uh, and yeah. The program, the program where we got our paternity and maternity leave, it's a new bill that was passed this year. Yeah. And you can't take you can't take like an extended amount of time for a certain amount of time after you come back from your paternity and maternity leave. Oh. So that's that's the yeah. issue. That's part of it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> oh, it is difficult to travel with children, small children, though, and mm-hmm. you know now that they're. I mean, my son loves it because there's other kids there, and he's not super into showing, but he really loves to hang out with the other kids. So that's fun, mm-hmm. and and our daughter's old enough now where you don't worry do so much about her wandering hotel off. Room or do you guys um, stay in the barn? <laughs> she, Well, normally we like, well, it's a little bit of both, I guess. When when we went to Harrisburg, we okay. had an Airbnb. And then when the Nationals were in Wisconsin, we had a hotel. And when we were in Ohio, we just stayed in the barn. So a little mm-hmm. bit of everything. Yeah, we, you were in the barn, too. Same barn, I think. I, uh... Um, in Columbus. And, uh... It was... It's like camping. Yeah, I actually, I like to, 
Yeah, it is. I mean, we just sleep on a cot and I, I actually like to be in the barns. It's nice when they're the box stalls because you have a little privacy, but mm-hmm. I like to be in the barns because you're close to your animals in case something happens, but then you can just like hang out and enjoy yep. the social aspect of I the agree. show at night. Um, right. You know, kind of when the stress of the, of the show day is over and people are just kind of you know, relaxing for the night. That's, that's the fun part. And, and being and thankful sure. you're not showing Nigerians yeah. at, you know, 1 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, does your mom bring her Nigerians to nationals or no? She has. Yeah, she showed in, um, in Wisconsin and in Columbus. You were probably showing mm-hmm. in that. Yep. Yeah, she did. In <laughs> in um in Columbus, the yeah. Nigerian and the Oberhasi show was at the same time, okay. so we weren't able to help each other. And yeah, she so she was you know in the ring with hers while I was in the ring with mine, and it made it a little bit harder because it's nice to have the extra hands. And we were lucky that we have some really good friends that helped us. We we may, mostly asked them to help us get the dose to the show ring. Mm-hmm. But they stayed and helped us the whole time. And honestly, I don't know if we could have done it without them. So that's kind of the fun part is when people step in to and, and some, lend a hand. Um, for sure. Yeah. Especially when you have more than one breed going. Because um, I showed, I actually showed in Harrisburg, I, I showed quite a few does for that weren't mine. You know, just kind of, I had my whites on, I was close by. Yeah. And we hop in, in the Columbus, ring. We, so obviously, we only had the Oberhasleys. We ended up showing every day for somebody. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's people. People appreciate it. I know it's it's a lot of work because those classes take a long time. But yeah, I, I don't think you can ever thank somebody enough for for showing an animal for you, even if it's just in a small show. Um, yeah, because it's like you never have enough hands. I don't know. Oh, absolutely, especially if it's a multi-ring show and and something's going. You have a one breed going in one ring and another breed going in the other. I've had it happen, and where I'm running around with my head cut off, and I've had people stop and go, John, just give me your dough. I got her. How old is she? When did she freshen? Give her, give her to me. I'm like, all right, here you go. Good luck. Yep. <laughs> so it's de- it's definitely great, and and I feel like that's what the community is all about. I mean. Not all the time. I'm sure there's people that are persnickety about showing other people's animals, but for the majority, people are definitely willing to help each other. I think so too. Yeah. And it's a great way to meet people. I mean, somebody volunteers, they're sitting, I guess you should never sit in the bleachers in your whites if you don't want to help. Because <laughs> you're definitely going to get pulled in, but we, you meet so many people that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of hang out, introduce themselves and you chat for a little bit between classes and it's, yeah, yeah it's just cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Actually, so. Um, Nate, did um, you have a couple? I know I, you said I you had a couple of questions. In some of your pictures on Facebook, there had been that perfect looking goat milk kajeda. It, it, you make that there at the farm. Yeah. Well, we, so this is another connection with our, our cheesemaker. Lynn is her name. She was making goat milk caramel 
um, with our milk. And she's considered, she's thinking about retiring or getting close to retiring from um, cheese making. And she's wanting to help us, um, I guess, kind of start something new to continue to bring some income into the farm. And so over the past couple of years, we've been working together to make the goat milk caramel. And we've really kind of picked up last year and this year I'm making it. And uh, my best friend lives not that far from us. She's actually has a butcher shop in town and they have a commercial catering kitchen at their butcher shop. And so I make, I make all the caramel up in their catering kitchen and uh, we're kind of hoping it'll take off a little bit. It's, it's been really fun. It's, Something, you know, I talked about, or she had talked about making cheese and I said, I don't know if I want to make cheese. It just like, I just have never really, or soap or anything like that. It's just okay. never really, I've never been drawn to it. Okay. Um, it's but, such a long process. Yeah. And the, the caramel's long too. It, yeah. it takes yeah. like six hours to make a batch. Um, oh, wow. So it's kind of an all day thing by the time I, I drive all my supplies and the milk and everything up to the kitchen, but we did, um, Minnesota has, uh, they, they are really good with cottage food producers. So people that make food out of their home kitchen, basically, but I got certified as a cottage food producer. And then we opened a project with, um, AURI, which is Ag Utilization Research Institute, and they help with food startups. And so we did all of the, like, Oh, it's called non-potentially hazardous food. So basically it's kind of like a water activity and a pH kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So they did the tests for that and we did a nutrition label. So through those tests, they find it non-potentially hazardous, which sounds bad, but it's really just (laughs) (laughs) kind of a simple, like this, this product has a lot of sugar in it. So it's, it's shelf stable and it's not likely to grow bacteria basically is Mm, kind of what that says. So yeah, we did the shelf stability test. We did a nutrition label. Um, and now we're working with the MDA to get kind of our next set of licenses, which would allow us to um, like do resale and wholesale and internet sales. I was, gonna, um, I was going to ask, is there a way I can get my hand on this? <laughs> like, I want to try yeah, it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we actually just said our website is super basic. It just got set up. It's saucygoatcaramel.com. And then we have a Facebook page, Saucy Goat Caramel, too. Try to link Um, that on our page for you. And so, we don't mind shameless plugs. Sure, yeah, you can link that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really fun. It um, just, of course, this year it was harder because we sold most of the product on like uh, craft fairs and like your summer town festivals that have vendor booths and farmers Mm -hmm. markets and that kind of stuff. And with um, COVID, a lot of that was shut, actually pretty much all of it was shut down. Yeah. So we did a lot of kind of repeat customers from previous years. And then we did sell quite a bit around the holidays. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of been our side project. And, and really it was a way to use extra milk when we were producing more than our cheesemaker could use. Um, and it takes a, a lot of milk. To have. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've seen the posts of it and it looks absolutely delicious. And Yeah. You I know, think... the, I always tell people the small, the small jars 
I can cut up like three apples and one jar and it'll take like one jar of caramel, <laughs> one little jar. That's how much our kids love it. It's like, <laughs> do you want a little bit of apple with that caramel? <laughs> so, so, so it sounds like I need to watch you on the, you know, <laughs> yeah. day trip. You throw some a- cut up apples in a bag and you take that jar and you go on a day trip and it gets hungry. You, you know, someplace yeah. you pull out the apples and the caramel and let them go. At- yeah. Exactly. Did you know, right it, out here on the snow in front of the house. Do you? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it definitely looks good. Um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's a good way to, I mean, we're always looking for ways to promote goat goats and goat milk products and Mm -hmm. caramel is something a little it's a little bit different and just the fact that it's like a confectionery so high you know you can use it on ice cream you can use it on desserts it's just something a little bit different that people really like and the local the local food movement has gotten so strong um you know in middle of summer spring when the grocery store shelves were getting empty people were like where does my where where am i going to get food and so everybody that was you know selling meat and milk and cheese and eggs and and anything that you could just get directly off the farm just really Mm -hmm. got some some attention so it was really cool to see people thinking more about where their food comes from and and not that the caramel is like a staple food item, but it was, it was still kind of, it might be. Yeah. But it was kind (laughs) of neat to see people that are not from a farm to really think about where their food comes from. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, do you have plans to add any other products to saucy goat or are we, are you going to be caramel based? Uh, Right now, just the, the caramel base and maybe thinking about other flavors maybe right mm-hmm. now we just do three flavors so there might be some experimentation again, we'll see cool um, just... yeah it's saucy goat caramel.com perfect so we're gonna be wrapping up in a couple minutes here but i do have one question that i always put on the notes for to ask breeders and other people in the industry that we've interviewed but i always forget to ask it and it drives me nuts afterwards um but what's one piece of advice you'd give to a new breeder that's out there one piece of advice to a new breeder Mm -hmm. i i guess what i would say now i work as a ruminant nutritionist and so i spend a lot of time on farms and just Mm -hmm kind of evaluating kind of whole management programs, um, nutrition, breeding, everything. But I think the biggest thing is just focus on your management. Get all of that right first. You know, Mm -hmm. make sure that you have your facility set up correctly. Make sure you have your feeding program set up correctly. Um, Like you're kind of a good veterinary type plan for the health of your animals. Mm -hmm. Um. And I know I, I hear a lot of people say buy the best animals that your money can buy, but um, 
you know, you can you can buy really good genetics, but if you don't take care hey, of them, they're never going to reach their full potential. Bingo. So, uh, I don't, <laughs> yeah, and I, maybe I'm a little bit different because we started with nothing, basically. We, you know, we didn't have money to buy good genetics, and so we started mm-hmm. with pets that came from probably the sale barn. Um, and it just took a lot of years of hard work and and yeah, even the first from the, well, we went to our first national show in 1998, but then we didn't go again until like 2006. And looking back, I'm like, oh, my goats were so thin back then. And it's not that they were skinny or that they were unhealthy, but, um, you know, it just, it takes a lot of time and a lot of management to get kind of the, sh- the bloom on, on the goats that you need to be successful in the show ring. And mm-hmm. so really kind of dial that in and and look at goats when you're at local shows and maybe if the breeders are willing to share some of their management practices kind of pick their brain a little bit and yeah even if you can do something you know one thing better next year mm-hmm. so that's kind of my advice just kind of focus huh. on on the management and and then then your goats can kind of shine their genetics can shine through i guess Perfectly. I agree with that 100%. Seriously. I, and you mentioned the feed and, you know, getting the bloom on the does. And as yeah. Nate knows, I, I struggled with that my first couple of years breeding and showing. Uh, and I have a doe who's a hard keeper. And for a while there, she was just a sack of skin and bones and that's it. Um, but I finally was able to pick brain, the brain of, other breeders and come up with a game plan and it's worked pretty well. She's still a hard keeper, but she, she looks better than she used to. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely going to be, you know, goats that are, are going to be hard keepers and mm-hmm. certain breeds are harder to keep condition yeah. on and to keep looking good than other breeds. And yeah, so there's obviously differences there, but um, yeah, I think, I think there's lots of seasoned breeders out there that have had lots of tried and true practices on their farm and are willing to share. So don't be afraid yeah. to come up to people and ask, I guess. Well, I agree, I agree with that hundred percent. I, uh, no. I know Nate and I are both not shy people when it comes to just messaging people <laughs> that <laughs> others, other people might go, you messaged that person. It's like, Oh Yeah. Why not? They're a person. I think I'm that's awesome. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I always kind of joke like I'm I'm an I'm an introvert. I I don't mind being alone. I don't mind like at a show I'm okay sitting in the text all by myself kind of person and but my husband is like a true social he's social butterfly kind of he's out talking to everybody and I always joke I wouldn't have any friends if it wasn't for him because he's like you got he's like you need to come out you need to come meet these people you need to come talk to these people and kind of a funny story back one of the bucks a long time ago if we want to talk about over genetics again but one of the bucks I think really changed our kind of the look of our herd was um ario and Mm. cream of kansas ario and we were at the iowa state fair and and my husband just like went and made front friends with Tacoa. 
And she, <laughs> and she, you know, just, he just went, he's like, you got to come talk to these people. You got to come talk to these people. And we'd never met him before. And we were just still pretty new to showing. And, and so, yeah, you know, just my, my husband's kind of pushing me to go talk to people and again, kind of pick their brain about management and genetics and mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> so I should always thank him for the direction that that fox sent us to. For sure. Yeah. Yep. So I think, I think people get lost on the show wins when it comes to talking to other breeders, when in all reality, it's, the people that are, are winning or, or have been successful in the past, there's still people that love dairy yes. goats and probably like talking about dairy goats a lot. So what's, what's, what, what's it hurt to walk up to them or message them yeah. and talk to them? If they don't answer, they don't answer. Yeah, for sure. Oh. <laughs> yep. So. Uh, I think Nate, we you had a couple them. more um, questions, I think, or, or did you go through them? Um, give me a moment. Actually, hold on. I actually had some that so uh, mm-hmm. you, we kind of touched on them, the milking, uh, while they were related, like how many are you milking now? Um, none, because you've got them all dried off. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, they're all, <laughs> they're all dry right now. I think I, yeah, I, I've got, 40. I think just under 40 that are bred. My wife is flipping maybe, out over maybe 18. like thirty seven or thirty eight. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's it is right. making your facility work for the size of herd you have, also. And mm-hmm. um, you know, we we were feeling a little crowded here a couple years ago, and and maybe you know some of our animals were spending too much time and kind of not the best pens in the winter and so we did build a bigger we added on another barn it's just a like a hoop barn or i guess we call them hoop barns here that's what i'm thinking about yeah so yeah i've been so that's (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so just add you know making sure you have the space for the herd that you want to have and Mm -hmm. and that's important too making sure like like for us i'm freaking out a little bit because i have like 15 goats do that first week of March or the first couple of days of March. And well, I'm like, I, I don't think, have enough kidding yeah. pens for 15. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I'm hoping, yeah, nobody, nobody has a, you know, usually I put them in wet, like when they're in labor, I put them in a kidding pen. It just keeps the pens cleaner. Yep. And, and I think mm-hmm. there's less stress when you move them when they're in labor. And then I like to yep. keep them separate for a couple days until they are feeling well. So, when I have 15 no. do, that doesn't give me a lot of leeway on <laughs> like everybody has to kid perfect and there can't be any trouble and they have to move through those kidding pens really quick. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kicking myself, but you know, that first heat, a lot of times the does don't settle. Sometimes it's just a funny heat, the first one of the year. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to breed them as they come in. And mm-hmm. it was just like doe after doe came into heat. And then three weeks later, it was like, Yep. Nobody came into heat again. I'm like, oh my gosh, did that whole group settle? Like that never happens. 
Yeah, our our friend so, Jessica, who has Nigerians, uh, had that happen this year, and I think it was a group of twenty. And I think she finally was able to take a nap yesterday. Oh I'll no! Compared to my wife, I, I made some mistake. Yeah, we're gonna read a whole bunch yep. of them, and uh, yeah. So I've got a bunch of hard choices to make this uh, <laughs> this spring. So. <clears throat> Well, you kept you kept just adding to your list, sir, right? You you were like, I'm going to do this number, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm breeding this person too, or this goat <laughs> yeah, too, or this goat too, and I'm like, well, they have to prove out some genetics here. So, <laughs> exactly. So. But anyway, yeah, so I think I'm all here? good on on these. Morgan, thank you for for coming on and and chatting with us for a bit. Um, Yes. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I I am a huge podcast fan. So I listen, I drive a lot for work. And so I listen to podcasts all the time. And I was just really honored that you invited me to come chat for the time. night. So you, appreciate you've it. You've been on the list for a long time. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't want to, we didn't, we didn't want to overwhelm everyone with Overhossley right away, even though, let's face it, folks, it's the best breed. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you enjoy listening to, you know, even if it's somebody that doesn't raise the same breed that you have, it's mm-hmm. still fun to just learn a little bit more about people's lives and what they do with their farm and I guess their yeah, philosophies on raising goats. For, and just, I don't know, you know it's all sure, kind of fun. Get, get to know it each is. other. I agree. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, Morgan, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a lovely talk. We'll probably have you on again sometime, probably at nationals. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yes, thank yes, you I again. Agree. And I hope you have a successful kidding season and everything goes well. Yeah. Thank you. You too. All right. Well, folks, this has been ringside an American dairy goat podcast. Good night. I'm John. That's Nate. Y'all enjoy- an American Dairy Goat podcast is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.